0: Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the Notre Dame football YouTube show brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air and also the gang at Inside Indy Sport. He's Tyler James. I'm Eric Hansen. The most photogenic member of our crew, Charleston Bowles, is off doing some recruiting writing right now, so you won't get to see him. But what you will get is a lot of great football talk tonight about what happened at an open practice earlier this week. What's happening with special teams As this team is about two-thirds of the way through training camp. We're going to have a recruiting reset. We're also going to take your questions, which you can start to submit now. And before you grab your popcorn, I want you to please hit the subscribe button and hit the notification bell. That way you will get all the notifications about not only when this show comes on, but when we have practice highlights and interviews from post-practice player and coaches, which I think you'll really enjoy. Uh, so subscribe to our channel, it doesn't cost anything. Subscribe to our website, it does cost, but uh, it's well worth it. And now Tyler James will give you the lowdown on how to ask questions and anything I forgot.
1: Um, I don't think you forgot anything. We, uh, 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 For those who are new to the YouTube experience, you should be able to join us and comment um, make sure you are either on the YouTube app or on a, uh, have the YouTube site pulled up. If you're trying to chat to us through an embedded video on our website or the message board, um, you're going to have a hard time doing that or on social media. Um, so make sure you click through to be able to do that. Um, and then if you're on a desktop of some sort, the chat box should be on the right hand side. Um, and if you're on a mobile device of some sort, the chat box should be below. Um, but we want to hear from you guys. We want to know what you guys want us to discuss. We have plenty of things to discuss, but um, we will fit those questions in as they sort of fit around what we want to discuss. Um, But certainly, if you guys want to take it in different directions, we will listen to you and try to answer as many questions as possible. Feel free to send them throughout the show. Um, If you want to just say hello, we like to do that, too. We like to know who's tuning in, see um, some familiar names and faces out there. Um, So I will turn it back over to Eric and we will get things rolling. Okay, before we get into our content, I just want to. Follow up on our sponsor, Legacy
0: Heating and Air. Uh, I have a Legacy air conditioner that's running right now. also have a furnace. Um, it's a Daikin. It's made right here in the United States. Legacy is Heating and Air is a cook family business. They also are specializing in air purification, which is a big deal these days. For more information, just go to their website. It's kind of long. Legacy Heating and Air Inc. Dot com. That's leg- LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com. And our website is InsideNDSports.com. We're going to start out. We are practice 13 of 20 today through training camp, and then we'll get into game week after training camp ends. But the real buzz is still going around about practice number 12, which was a media open practice at Schoolfield, which is a high school facility in South Bend. And we're not going to bury the lead. The offensive line and the defensive line, they've dominated the platform formerly known as Twitter uh, since then. So we're going to dive into our impressions of what we actually saw, how we interpreted it, and what we project for the start of the season with the offensive and defensive line. So, Tyler, let's start with the offensive line, and let's start with, the personnel, the key personnel there and what we liked about what we saw in practice from them.
1: Yeah. So the way Notre Dame lined up on Tuesday night for its first team offense, and it was the same again today at practice uh, was Joe Alt at left tackle, Pat Coogan at left guard, Zeke Carell at center, Rocco Spindler at right guard and Blake Fisher at right tackle. So obviously we know that those guard positions are what we've had our eye on all preseason camp, all offseason, quite frankly, in terms of what's up for grabs for Notre Dame's offensive line. And uh, I don't think those guys had the best practices. Um, and I think the most discouraging part about that was that the guys that uh, they're competing with, I don't think they had the best practice either. Billy Shrouth and Andrew um at left guard and right guard, respectively. I don't think that they had great performances. Um, and frankly, I think coming into camp, we thought that Shrouth and Kristofic might be the guys that would be the starters. So I'm not sure if they're, if Joe Rudolph is closing in on settling with Coogan and Spindler as the starters. Um, but if, if, if that's the case, um, they need to, to, to gain some ground um, because it just didn't seem like they were doing, a good enough job. I, I mean, I think in theory the, the selections of those guys would be because they're butt kickers. Like that's what that's right. what Notre Dame needs. That's what ne- Andrew Christofik doesn't necessarily give you um, as someone who's the most experienced option. Um, but I, I, I haven't seen. Uh, granted, we have gotten very limited views. Um, there was a few eleven on eleven plays today, even, um, but the guards just don't seem to be providing the push now um what goes into that I, I don't know that I have a great explanation quite yet but um that's just was my biggest takeaway from from the offensive line the other night what about you Eric yeah I mean I've seen
0: and I'll get into that when we think talk about what might have been distorted I mean I've seen like Lines that included Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey look bad in a particular practice during training camp. And I've seen people kind of hyperventilate over that. We even did that in the, we as a group, not Tyler and I only, um, in the spring when it came to uh, the, uh, sounds like we got some bad, is that, can you hear that? I don't hear anything. Okay. There was some static Uh, and it's gone away. So maybe somebody was submitting a question and didn't like what I was saying, but um, I've seen these training camp things be, be a little bit distorted. But um, what I will say was, you know, if you were watching it, you'd say, wow, the defense is way ahead of the offense, which is what nobody would have expected. I mean, um, I still think that there's a lot of distortion there. And I think there's, more mixing and matching and trying to find chemistry on that side of the ball than there is on the defensive side of the ball, which is a, which is a uh, credit to the defensive line and the defensive front. But, um, you know, I I took it with a grain of salt. Remember there was a spring practice where the offense looked horrible and it was all over the message boards, including ours um, all over Twitter. And then, you know, people were kind of wondering, well, is Sam Hartman really that good? And then you get to the blue gold game and he blows everybody away. And so I think we should expect to see some works in progress. And I'm not going to deny that the offensive line doesn't have work to do. They do, but I was not as blown away. Now, when we talk about what, what could have skewed that a little bit, In my mind, especially with this offensive coordinator, Jared Parker, he is really playing it tight. He doesn't want to give anything away. And they know that we're there. So are they just running plays that the defense knows? Are they even trying to fool them? And I think maybe that played into some of the uh, problems that we saw with, or or at least some of the um, competitive advantage for the defense that they might've known what plays were coming uh, and been able to react to that. But I don't want to take anything away and we're going to get into the defensive line here soon, but there are factors that could have played into maybe magnifying this. But I, again, I'm not saying the offensive line doesn't have work to do. So do you think that there was a distortion there or do you think we're really getting a true picture in practice number 12?
1: Well, I mean, Certainly the offensive line needs time to, to develop chemistry and get on the same page. Right. Um, I, I guess I don't have a great grasp on whether or not they're getting to a point where they're going to be able to do that with the guard positions. Um, the fact that uh, unless, unless, unless it's settled now, like Coogan and Spindler are the starters, um, then certainly they would have, there's a plan, plenty, plenty of time before. Season opener, I think, for them to get out on the same page and to be a cohesive unit. Um, obviously, it's going to be different when you're playing an actual game than going against your teammates all the time. But um, so, I, so that that certainly is. There's certainly merit to that. Um, but I, I, it's not. I don't. It's not like the, the offense was doing a lot of complicated things. Which, yes that means maybe they're not fooling the defense, but sometimes you, I mean, you like a running play isn't usually a lot of deception. It's usually like sort of enforcing your will upon the defense and, and making that happen. Now I think it's worth mentioning that Audrey Guestamé wasn't the running back for um, the scrimmage portions of, of Tuesday's practice. uh, And we expect him to have a big season. They were, it seemed like they were just resting him. He, he did other parts, but he wasn't taking part in the full contact activities for the scrimmage action Um, was he back today he was back yeah i mean he was doing the same stuff in the first five periods they did in his first five periods the other day um obviously there was a a little bit of 11 on 11 so i guess he was in there for that which would which what he wasn't in for last week but um or on tuesday and so i think that that there's i don't think it's time to panic but i think I haven't been that concerned about the guard positions until now, and now I'm starting to have some concern. Um, that's how I would sort of um, describe my feelings or attitude towards the the guard competition and what's what's come of it so far. Now, obviously, if we saw more practice, um, maybe okay. maybe <laughs> maybe there's maybe there's days where the the offensive line. beating up on the defensive line but i I think we have to i mean we'll get into the defensive line like we don't think notre dame's defensive line is like our world beaters like that is was one of the biggest question marks coming into the season now maybe that that they will end up being transcendent and making a difference for this coming season but um i think that all those things sort of go into start of like coming out tuesday night's it's like man do they is there an actual problem here which i didn't necessarily think was the case before tuesday's practice
0: Okay, so my take on on it, too, is and just watching you watch way more offensive line than I do, but I think it was maybe practice 10. So it was a couple before that. I spent all my periods just about with the offensive line and watching them. They weren't doing a lot of now, again, it's just the first five periods. They weren't doing a lot of things that would foster chemistry. They were doing more individual technique things. And I'm wondering if we're getting to the point where, okay now they're getting more into the um, things that foster seeing things with the same set of eyes and so forth, and that we'll see more improvement when we get to that point. My expectation for the long term is that there's enough talent here, and I think the two tackles in the center positions are set. I do expect Rocco Spindler to hold on. And be the right guard. And I I'm still I still don't want to buy that Shrouth isn't one of the best five linemen on this team. I just I have a hard time. I give Pat Coogan credit for making that a competitive situation, but I can't see what would be in Shrouth's game unless he just really can't figure out plays that would put him behind anybody at those guards. I would put Shrouth ahead of Rocco. I think Shrout the combination of work ethic, um, brute strength, um, and just understanding line play. I mean, I think this of those four guards, if I had to put a bet now who most likely would end up in the NFL, I would put my money on Billy Shrouth. But, um, You know, that's something for us to talk to on Saturday with Marcus Freeman the next time that we get a chance to talk to him and the only time we get to talk to him before game week. So I'm sure that it will come up. I expect by the time we get to weeks one and week two that that'll be a pretty good offensive line. Um, But, you know, I'm hoping to get some more insight uh, on that, talking to some people behind the scenes and seeing what's really going on. Tyler, what's what's your thoughts about eventually what we're going to see out of this group?
1: Yeah, I, I, first, like to the Shrouth point, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think in talking up Billy Strouth, I think we can sound maybe a little dismissive to Pat Coogan, um, who hasn't been a media darling by any standard. He was a three-star recruit. Um, I remember seeing him as a freshman. I was like, man, I don't know if Pat Coogan's ever going to play for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's done a lot of work to improve him himself since then. Right. Um, and so um, I, I wouldn't put a lot of money on him beating out Billy Shrouth either. But, I mean, they, he, he keeps getting put out there. And yeah. it's not like he's getting put out there the same day as Emil Wagner's getting put at guard and Tosh Baker's getting put at guard, which see, which don't seem necessarily like the answers. He's getting put out there with the rest of the guys – Getting, getting reps next to Joe all on a consistent basis. Um, and that's that's not by accident. Um, so I think he's put in a lot of work to get to where he's at. I didn't see the results that I was hoping to see on Tuesday, regardless right. of who was in there. Um, but uh, so I, I'm curious to see how these next couple of weeks play, play out. And maybe we, maybe we're in a situation where Notre Dame doesn't have two guards play the whole season. Like maybe there's, maybe this is a developing situation with, Maybe Billy Strauss not ready to go for the first week. Um, I, I don't really know at this point, but um, things can certainly settle settle down and we may be making more of it um, than is needed, but I think we're, we're sort of reacting to what we're seeing, um, and I think that's the, the best way we can do this. In terms of the ceiling, I, I still don't think it changes a lot because of the talent level of this group. I, I still think it could be the strength of the offense. It could be... I mean, we, I mean, Joe Moore Award is sort of how you sort of measure Notre Dame's offensive line. It seems, and I think they could be a finalist. Now, can they be the best offensive line in the country? I think that might be a little much to ask, but maybe they can get there. I mean, when you got Joe Alt and Blake Fisher, I think anything is sort of reasonable um, or possible. But I think that we, I just need to see way more from those interior spots to to make a difference um, and, and to give me some more confidence in what is going to happen this season. But I think the way the, the the schedule plays out in a way, at least the first two games, and I don't think Notre Dame should be too too worried about its offensive line inexperience or issues or getting the kinks worked out because I think they should be fine in those games. Um, but I, I do think um, the the guard spots need to need to take a step up, and I, I don't expect them to be playing at the level of of the tackles, but they need to um, not be not be holes in the offensive line either. Right. Uh, it, what's new for me is this is the
0: first time we've gone through a training camp with Joe Ru- Rudolph as the offensive line coach. And right. so we kind of knew Harry He stands timing and Jeff Quinn's timing and how they did things and how things generally came together. You know, Joe, Joe Rudolph does things differently. Um, and so he does have a really good track record from his time at Wisconsin. Developed a lot of standout Wisconsin players and developed a lot of standout Wisconsin lines, so I'm kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt when I before I hyperventilate too much. But I I agree with Tyler, there is certainly work to be done. So let's flip this to the defensive line, which I, I I'm becoming more convinced that they could be a surprise. Uh, storyline for this team. I'm
1: not completely there yet, but I'm certainly moving in that direction. So, And and I think it's important, the context, like, you probably wouldn't have said that a month ago, right? Like, that's that's not what you expected, right? Right. What I was looking for a month ago
0: was am I seeing dead ends where there's no answers to certain weaknesses, where they're just going to have to mask them and try to move forward with them? I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing progress and I'm seeing more people kind of stepping into contention Mm -hmm. to be helpful on the defensive line. Uh, But um, in terms of personnel who line, who's lining up, you know, they go certainly too deep at all four positions. They really could go three deep at most of them and maybe even four deep at Viper uh, with the way Bubakar Traore looked the other night, um, he was kind of the darling of Twitter the uh, 4 String Viper but he had a very good day um, so who's starting right now, it's it's um, Jordan Batello at Viper, Riley Mills and Howard Cross the third inside Riley Mills being the defensive tackle and then the big end, it's really a rotation, I would say Nana Osafa Mensah has the lead there, but we see a lot of uh, Jean-Baptiste, Javante Jean-Baptiste in that role. So I think those guys are kind of even on our depth chart on our website. I have them as even still. And then the second line is Junior Tui Halamaka, who we didn't see Tuesday because I believe because of an injury. Um, So we saw a lot of Josh Burnham there inside we have Jason Anya and Gabe Rubio and i think Jason Anya is my new surprise player crush platonic only football related only crush and then as i mentioned whoever's not starting between the hyphenated guys on the right side so tyler what what were you what did you see that you liked out of that group and let's i mean they worked. In concert with the front seven, we're seeing the linebackers do a lot of things. So front seven-wise, what did you like about the play from that group that you saw?
1: Yeah, I think there's, like you mentioned, there's depth, and that that is important. I think there's just a lot of penetration. I mean, there's guys getting in the backfield. I mean, there, there are defensive tackles creating tackles for loss. It's not just Joshua or J.D. Bertrand running through the middle of the offensive line to – to get back there and make a play. Um, there's guys creating havoc, chaos, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I I, I still uh, wonder a little bit about what that pass rush is going to look like on a consistent basis. I think most of the pass rush success seem to be coming against the, the number two offensive tackles versus the number one offensive tackles, which is you can well, and, imagine and in, that. And in fairness
0: – the twos went against the ones on both sides for a large part of the time, and then it was ones versus ones.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, so they were alternating twos versus ones and ones versus ones and stuff like that. But, um, but it's not. But it, I guess it's important to point out, like Bubakar Traore and Joshua Burnham weren't necessarily beating Joe Waltz with regularity like here. No, they were not. Like that. <laughs> it was Ty Chan. The <laughs> yeah, it was Tai. Chan had a rough night. Um, so I, I think that the I liked the the numbers there, the depth there. I think some of the versatility of those guys, um, you can move in and out of, and looking at the different packages, you can move Nana Mensa inside on a on a on a pass rush down. Um, maybe you maybe you play Jordan Batello, Riley Mills, Nana Mensa and Javante John Baptiste all at the same time on on a third down situation. Um, I think you, there's a number of different things you can do there, and, and then mix and match with some of the linebackers too bringing Maris Leofau down, bringing Jalen Snead down. Jalen Snead had a really good rep where he was at the quarterback uh, in a snap of a finger, it seemed like, getting yeah. down the edge. Um, so I, playing, they're playing tenaciously. They talk a lot, which I think is really getting under the skin of the offensive line. But Blake Fisher, I think early in practice, it's something like, that's all you guys do is talk. And then I heard Joe Alt on the sideline sort of, after the offense struggling, like hey, we have to stop talking. Like we got to actually do something. We can't just be talking because uh, the D line was backing up their talk, where the offensive line wasn't necessarily having that same sort of success. So um, I really like the attitude that that group is playing with, and um, it's they've they've been a bit of a surprise to me in um, the success they've had so far this this uh, preseason. I love the swagger. I love the
0: energy. I love the depth. I think. They've raised the floor in terms of my expectations, but they still have to prove what their ceiling is. Uh, that's what what will be interesting for me. And again, to their to Al golden's credit, we didn't see a lot of the packages that we've heard about. We haven't seen a lot of the wrinkles and so forth. We saw some. We saw, you know, they got as, into some nickel, which is as as exotic as they got. <laughs> but we saw um, Jalen Sneed line up as a pass rusher at the line of scrimmage. We saw Maris Leafau and so forth. So, and and as we t- talk about that group, were there any of the, besides Bubakar Traore, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on him, were there any of that kind of Tyson Ford, Brendan Vernon, the group below the top two in those groups that caught your eye?
1: Yeah, I mean, Treori, obviously, Burnham, I, 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 he technically was in that top two, but he, he's he's more or less right. like the third Viper. I thought he looked really good. His physical development has been pretty obvious in terms of him turning into a guy that was a quarterback and, and linebacker in high school and into now a, a defensive end. Um, I, I like what I saw from him. The Brendan Vernon has always looked physically different and ready in some sort of, in some ways, like, I don't know that they're going to need him to do much or be asked, asking him to do much, but I've liked what I've seen there. Um, So yeah, those, those are the guys that really stood out. I, I mean, going up to the second line, like Gabriel Rubio, I think he had a really good practice and I I've been very impressed with him. Um, And it's, it's hot. Like, I know like, if I think of Gabriel Rubio's season last year, it's like there's a, one run against BYU where he just got thrown into a linebacker, and it's like, oh, man, he's having a rough time out there. Um, and that's that does not look like the Gabriel Rubio that we're seeing um, so far this month. So those guys are interesting and exciting. Uh, Traore, I, it's fascinating to me because when he was being recruited, people were like, well, he might be a guy that moves inside. And then I saw him get him on campus for his official visit. I was like... That kid is tall and skinny. Like, I don't know why everyone thinks he's a defensive tackle. Um, and he looks like a defensive end. He's got this quickness. He's got a bend when he gets around the edge um, that I think makes him really hard to hard to handle. And he's, he's got the long arms. Um, so I think he's a very intriguing prospect that went a little bit under under the radar, then had a foot injury during his senior season. So that's not necessarily going to help his his case to get some more attention. Um, right. Uh, he's, he's certainly impressed so far. Um, and in terms of like production, in terms of stuff we've seen, he's made more plays than Brendan Vernon. I don't know that you can make an argument who's more impressive looking or who could make an impact sooner, but, um, he's been able to steal some of that attention that I think a lot of us were naturally going to give to Brennan Vernon just because of his recruiting profile. Yeah. Um, is, what excites me is that
0: he hasn't played a lot of football. You mentioned the injury last year. I think that was early September. Mm-hmm. So he missed almost the whole season for his high school team. And then a sophomore year, they either didn't play or they played a very limited schedule in Massachusetts because of COVID. So he had the junior year. That's when he, and and he was a top 250 prospect based on his junior year. He dropped his senior year as he was injured and wasn't, you know, high profile. And, uh, so I'm, I'm, and I love Saint Bubakar, so I'm hoping that he's good. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, the other guy that's kind of in that mode is Jason Anye. Jason is from the Northeast as well. He did not play, um, his senior year because of COVID, I want to say, and he, um, his sophomore year, was his first year he ever played football. He had been a basketball player up until that point. I was talking to him about it, and he was kind of a part-time player that year, and he started based on the the end-of-the-year surge that he had as a sophomore, Michigan offered a scholarship, and then more people did saying, well, you know, there's a lot of upside here. And then he was a starter one year and then missed a year completely because of COVID. He was... Uh, played his high school football in Rhode Island but he's six foot five about 292 and boy I'll tell you I like his talking game and I like his <laughs> the way he backs it up I think he is a guy I expected to be in the transfer portal or just you know getting his Notre Dame degree and moving on to you know be a CEO of some company and and uh, he's completely changed my mind. He's a guy that I've bought in on. I, I'm all in on Jason Anya.
1: Yeah, and he's a guy who's developed a ton. Like he physically, I just looked up his huddle profile from high school. I listed him at 245 pounds. He's now listed at 294 pounds. So that's we're talking about a completely different guy from what he was as a high school prospect in terms of a physical development from him. Um, he was more of a defensive end at first, and now he's really seemed to settle in at, at defensive tackle, um, gained weight. And he's listed at 294, and I don't know, I, he might have a six-pack when, he, when he's got his jersey rolled up. Yeah. He's a pretty physically impressive-looking guy. So um, very intriguing um, junior that hasn't done much so far in his Notre Dame career but could be in a position to to play a, a significant role this coming season
0: uh before we take questions or even move on um the one thing that could affect Brennan Vernon and and potentially Tyson Ford who's moving between inside and outside uh Tyson Ford is Aiden Gobaira we haven't seen him practice for a while and not even do the um pit stuff where they're on the exercise bike and so forth we believe he has a knee injury we'll get more clarification we're also going to go through all the injuries here uh, Tyler's going to take my thunder and probably do that since he was paying attention to that at practice today. But, uh, so before we move on, uh, one last thing on the defensive line, what do you think, just based on what you've seen, has your opinion changed as far as their ceiling? Uh, or do you need to see, see it in game
1: action? I would I mean, I guess I'm willing to change the ceiling a little bit more flippantly than the, than having to see as much. Because, like, the ceiling is like, what is the best possible outcome? Right. Um, right. So, like, I'm fine with switching that because like, I'm not saying that's going to happen. Um, but I think if the, the progression and these guys continue to elevate and make plays and play with the same fervor that they're playing with, I, I think the defensive line ceiling could be – a reason why an Dame makes the playoff, the defensive line sort of yeah. getting to a different level than we expected and becoming a strength of the defense. What do you think? I agree. And, and again, I always want to combine them with the linebackers
0: because I think the linebackers are an important part of how I see the defensive line. Mm-hmm. They've been integrated more with them and also run fits, you know, the, the linebackers can make you look really good in your run fits. And I like, what I'm seeing out of the linebackers. And when we get to surprises, I'll talk a little bit more about the linebackers because one linebacker is surprising me a lot right now to the point. It's confounding me on putting the depth chart together the way I (laughs) want it to. So, um, so, Let's uh, do we do we need have any questions we need to take at this point or do we want to move on to surprises?
1: Let's let's do some questions and then that in doing so give a call to questions. If you want uh, if you have a question, please submit it to us. Uh, We will put it in the pile and try to get to it. Um, We got a few different off the a couple of different ones that aren't necessarily related to what we've been talking about, but let's let's uh, discuss them now. First from first one is from We Are Not Marshall. Um, hello, We Are Not Marshall. For I rejoining. love that handle. Um, the question is, what does Jared Parker do to combat a Jim Knowles defense on September 23rd? Jim will have plenty of tape and can't stunt and shift to confuse. Okay, so, so I would assume he means can stunt and shift to confuse. At that right. Point. Like I don't know why he wouldn't be able to do that, but right, right. So, um. And just what I know
0: of the Ohio State defense of their front seven, I think that's the strength of that defense. That's where their most um, proven players are. I think they have a, they will have a good secondary. You're going to have to be balanced against Ohio State. You're going to have to take some deep shots because I think it's going to be a difficult team to drive against. And Notre Dame has a team that's built for that. They have a running game. They have. Much better wide receivers than when they played Ohio State last time. They do not have the star tight end, but they have capable tight ends. I mean, the offensive line is going to be such a key in that matchup, Tyler. And it was last time. Ohio State really won the game at both lines last year. Notre Dame had a good strategy to shorten the game. and, And Notre Dame's lines just could not control things in the fourth quarter when it when they needed to
1: yeah i mean we're we're only pretending if we act like we know what jared parker is going to do we don't know what he's going to do against navy let alone what he's going to do against ohio state we haven't seen him be an offensive coordinator before uh but yeah i mean i think you like hit on what would make sense to combat the type of defense that ohio state has um certainly i would watch plenty of Michigan offensive blueprints because yeah. they've been able to solve that Ohio State defense a couple years in a row. Um, well, I mean, that
0: entailed, though, J.J. McCarthy doing a lot of running. I'm not sure, sure whether that would be in the plan or not with Sam Hartman. He can run better than
1: you might think he can. But right. the question is, but
0: those big, Ohio the big State plays, has some
1: big, scary guys. The big plays in the passing game would be uh, – uh paramount like I I think that Notre Dame can't win that game without big plays in the passing game um that was something that Notre Dame didn't really have much success with on Tuesday um and uh, whether or not that's them being a little bit not revealing some of their more intricate deep passing game stuff because it was pretty much just hey Jaden or hey Tobias run straight down the field um and they weren't able to connect but um I think that certainly sounds like a good blueprint in trying to counteract what Ohio State's defense will be doing. But I think Notre Dame's – I mean, we'll see, but Notre Dame could be in a different position be that like Ohio State's offense is in a spot where they have great receivers, but what kind of quarterback play is Ohio State going to have this season? Um, I think when you have that, that kind of receiver talent, you feel like you have a pretty high floor with that, but um, you never really know um, how those quarterbacks are going to play until they – get some of those uh, get some of those opportunities against against live action in the fall.
0: I'm I'll throw this caveat about me doing matchups about teams in week five. I'll look at the schedule and I'll look what the strengths of those teams are. I always kind of make this chart of where they lined up last year in terms of statistical among the one hundred and thirty FBS teams. I think it's one thirty three this year. But I don't do a deep dive into those teams until we get a little bit closer because it's just not relevant for what I'm writing about right now. I I do it the big picture like you do and want to know those questions because Ohio State Clemson USC right are going to determine the postseason for Notre Dame. But I'm I'm not even into Navy yet. I will get there, start to get there next week. So once we get closer to the Ohio State game, we'll get a little bit more nuanced and into the matchups.
1: Yeah, Ohio State's still figuring out what they're going to do, <laughs> do. like this, The same questions we have about Notre Dame, um, they might not be the same questions, but they're still dealing with questions in that same sort of way as part of the preseason. Next question is from Bob Alvey. Do walk-ons get the same NIL opportunity from fund that the scholarship players get? If so, is it enough to pay for their education at Notre Dame?
0: Tyler, I'm going to defer to you on that. I I think there is, I think there is a floor in terms of minimum that they would get from all the collectives, and all the thing opportunities that Notre Dame has. But I don't know exactly what that
1: is. Do you? Um, I don't know what it is, but I can tell you it's not enough to pay for their education exactly. at Notre Dame exactly. <laughs> because the bill for an education at Notre Dame is pretty substantial. So not everyone is getting what enough to cover all the walk-ons, especially aren't getting enough to cover their their tuition bill that is that is certainly not the case i'm i'm, I'm not I, I i i don't necessarily know exactly what they're getting i i do know that there there is funds available to them um but i think fund itself has been going through sort of a an evolution and they haven't been exactly forthright in terms of describing what they're doing other than sort of leadership changes and stuff like that but um i think that uh notre dame's doing or the folks around Notre Dame, I suppose, are doing the most they can to try and um, provide added benefits for for these uh, football players, whether they're scholarship or walk-ons.
0: Right, and I think where this is relevant, Bob, is, and maybe this is what was the inspiration for your question, Luke Talich is a safety from Cody, Wyoming, who had three power five offers, a bunch of other FCS, and group of five offers, chose to walk on at Notre Dame, I suppose if he wasn't eventually awarded a scholarship, he probably would hit the portal and take those opportunities. Notre Dame was his dream school. So you're wondering if the NIL money would take care of some of that. So I understand that Luke Talich is really um, talented. And and if Notre Dame did award scholarships to a couple of walk-ons, I would say Luke Talich and probably Jordan Faison, a freshman wide receiver, would be pretty strong candidates to get those last two scholarships that Notre Dame has under the 85 limit.
1: All right. Um, Let's get, or actually here's one more from John Murray. Who is the best example of past ND players who had Anya's characteristics?
0: Okay. Let me think somebody that's six, five ish. I mean, Jerry Tillery is about the same height but a different type of player i'm trying Mm -hmm. to think of somebody that was that tall that that i mean jerron jones was a little bit more of a he didn't have the quickness i i think that anya had i'm trying to think who played inside that was that tall because normally notre dame had a lot of six two six three guys and not a not six five, and they got two six five guys as their backups. There, uh, I'd have to think of that, and maybe circle back to that later in the show. Because off the top, I'm not coming up with something. Maybe Derek Landry, uh, way back. Uh, you know that would have been Bob Davie, Tyrone Willingham, or Charlie type years. I'm I'm trying to think when Derek Landry was actually uh, Michael there. Michael
1: Park said J- Jeff Alm.
0: Boy, that's going way back. Uh that, Bob, thats, not, that's yeah. not
1: in my Rolodex. So, yeah, that was when I was <laughs> had jet
0: black hair and was brand new to the Tribune and had no grandchildren or children. <laughs> so,
1: we're going way back. Jake uh, uh, Jager says Capron Lewis Moore. Maybe I think that that's that—that's not a bad one. I think it's not a bad one. Although
0: Capron was an edge player, and Jason plays inside. Jason was high school defensive end um but yeah capron would but cap be, was a cap was a three4 defensive yeah, end. So yeah 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 I could see that
1: yeah yeah I, I don't know that there's a ton of great examples uh, sorry I keep tackling t- question or questions there um I, I don't know that there's a ton of great examples now obviously I think we're talking about like Jason Anye's the hope for Jason anya I, I mean right we he's got what we've seen play. This he's got to yeah. play at that level um, we're talking about guys that are NFL draft picks, um, but I, yeah, I think sort of the the length um, and the quickness inside isn't necessarily a combination that I don't know that at least since I've covered Notre Dame since 2012 um, is something that I've seen a lot of um, from Notre Dame. I mean, one thing to
0: keep in mind, I think that's interesting how far Notre Dame has come with its defensive linemen. And remember we, we lived through these years in 2016, Notre Dame's defensive lineman had three sacks for the season. That's stunning. (laughs) Uh, So, okay. So we're going to go into some of the surprises that we saw on Tuesday night and maybe the surprises that we've seen recently at practice. So did any other position groups, did any other individuals really surprise you? Because we've been following them along, you know, through – now thirteen practices. So who was a surprise uh, Tuesday uh, night?
1: Yeah, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, a, a bad surprise was the sort of the lack of a deep passing game that I that I alluded to earlier. I, I thought that they would have some more success there, and they just did. I mean, it's not like we're talking about twenty throws or anything like that. But in a, the handful of times that Sam Hartman tried to stretch the field, um, he wasn't able to do so. On one of them, he just sort of forced the throw into double coverage against. Uh, Christian Gray and Ramon Henderson who were covering Matt Salerno and Ramon Henderson came down with it um, in terms of like specific guys, Christian Gray, who I mentioned, it's not, it's not hugely surprising because we thought he had a lot of talent, but we hadn't seen him play to this level um, and, and getting those kind of opportunities he did. And he was being asked to play more because Cam Hart w- um, was knocked out of practice at some point at, on Tuesday, um, and he, he was those guy he was the guy that was tasked to coverage guys like Jaden Thomas and Tobias Merriweather. Um, and he was sticking right with them. It wasn't like, he was all over those guys. He even made a tackle, uh, in run support that right. I thought that, that I thought was good. So, and that was um, when it
0: was one's number one offense versus two defense.
1: Correct. He was the two defense. And, um, Bryce McPherson, I mean, I know that's kind of weird to single out the punter, but we haven't got a lot of opportunities to see him in the way we did. And he was – I mean, he, he was averaging around 55 yards a punt uh, other than the one that he was asked to do that was – he kicked from like uh, the opposing 44, so he kicked it to the nine. He's not going to have a great average on that because he's trying to pin him inside the 10. But he had a good net on it. Correct. Which is what counts. Um, so uh, that was another guy um, – I don't know that there was a ton of surprises. I mean, beyond the offensive and defensive linemen we talked about, like Brubacar yeah. Um, So I, who, who do you have in mind, Eric? Well, Spencer Schrader, who we'll talk about
0: a little bit later in the show when we get into more of a deep dive on special teams, since mm-hmm. today was special teams day. His leg strength is impressive. Um, uh, McPherson, I expected to be pretty good, but his – Ten point accuracy. I was as impressed on the kick from the 44 inside the 10 as I was the length and the height that he got. Um, and then, as a position player, Maris Leafau. I mean, Jack Kaiser had been outplaying him through spring and through the early part of fall camp. In the last few practices, Marista showed up. So I want to make sure that I'm not getting too crazy about it, but he was getting more of the reps with the, at least the nickel defense. It was uh, JD Bertrand and Marist were the two linebackers that stayed on the field, which surprised me as well as Jack Kaiser had been playing earlier. But then I saw Marist making plays. And so again, I want to see if this was Marist had a good day um, or he is really trending and becoming the player that he was supposed to be last year. Um, Holden stays. Isn't a surprise. I know you Tyler, you've been really high on him. I just more and more impressed with him. Every time I see him now, he's getting a lot of opportunities with Kevin Bauman being sidelined and with Eli Reardon taking his t- slow time to get back to hundred percent being very deliberate, but he's taking advantage of his opportunities I would say those those two um maybe a don a little bit I mean we're going down the depth chart a little bit to get to him right uh but those would be m- more of the kind of recent surprises for me so
1: yeah I think those are, I think those are all good ones I, yeah the stays is the one that he's just physically impressive and yeah the more opportunity he gets it's like okay they can they can be a 2 tight end team still like it's not like they're gonna be gonna be unable to do that without Michael Mayer um, with the combination of Mitchell Evans and Holden stays. I think those are going to be two pretty good tight ends for Notre Dame. Um, and uh, I think there's lots of interesting individual stories sort of coming up as we get towards the back end of camp here. And and we'll start to see which of those stories will actually be making an impact on the field. Um, let's talk about injuries and before we talk about injuries i wanted to throw in frank sarah's question that he submitted at the start of the show best podcast in america guys what are the injury updates hopefully none serious and i just want to admonish frank for saying that we're not the best podcast in the world i mean i, I don't know why we're li- limiting ourselves to to america but no. <laughs> we appreciate it frank and we are trying to uh, pick up
0: fans in ireland so since the next game will be there uh, so Tyler, I'm going to let you take care of it and sure. I'll mop up if there's anybody that I think that we missed.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Aiden Gobira earlier. He suffered a knee injury in practice Tuesday um, and it looked like a non-contact injury. He actually was in there to like be whistled to get a sack. Um, and then he sort of took one more step and he, he limped off his knee. Um, he was at practice today with a big wrap and brace around his leg. So it looks pretty serious. Um, I don't know exactly what the injury is, but um, I think he'll be sidelined for at least a little bit of time, um, if not longer. Cam Hart was not at practice today. I mentioned earlier that he was banged up uh, early on in practice um on Tuesday. So we will see. Um I should mention we we get to talk or hopefully we get to talk to Marcus Freeman because we didn't get to talk to him after practice on Tuesday. On Saturday, we're scheduled to talk to Marcus Freeman. So he will we will be asking him for injury updates and all these guys. Um Jerron Payne was someone who got injured uh I, injury might be a little bit hard, but he got hurt in Tuesday's practice and then sat out the rest of it. But he was back today at practice, so that was yeah. a good sign, especially if that had It was like an ankle injury. He had his left shoe off and limped and, off. And, and he that. had ankle injury issues in high school, so that's that was the biggest reason why I was somewhat concerned of what was going on there. You mentioned earlier Jeremiah or Eli Reardon not taking contact in scrimmage action. Jeremiah Love was not doing that either, um, and that's not the first time that I've seen Jeremiah Love um, not being involved in scrimmage type or contact tr- type action. so um, I'm not exactly sure what he's dealing with, but um, working through some things obviously there's there's depth ahead of him at the running back position. And then beyond that, the guys that have been hurt for a decent amount of time now here in camp, Kevin Bauman who you mentioned earlier, um, he wears a big knee brace on one of his knees while he's working out. Uh, cornerback chance Tucker, um, he was doing some running today. I didn't see him getting loose and running around, but he did not look like he was running at full speed, so he's still working his way back. And, excuse me, K.K. Smith, who Marcus Freeman t- told us uh, in the offseason, had shoulder surgery, so we're not expecting to see K.K. Smith back anytime soon necessarily. So I, I think those are all of them. Let me know if I missed anything there, Eric. I think you got everybody
0: that we need to get, and so we'll move on to – Special teams,
1: if there's no question related questions that we need to hit. um, All I know is Coffee for Closer says, you've got a friend in me from Atlanta, Georgia, so we, we support that. Yeah, we, you know, it's interesting.
0: There are a lot of Notre Dame fans in Georgia, at least the ones that show up on my live chat on Wednesdays. <laughs> there's Marie, there's Tom from Kennesaw, there's a few other people from Georgia. Uh, there was somebody this week. Uh, from Jefferson, Georgia. So, uh, so it's nice to hear from folks in Georgia. So we'll go to special teams today. And so the people that they brought in to, to talk to the media were Marty Biagi, the special teams coordinator, Spencer Schrader, a kicker, Michael Vinson, Milk, the um, long snapper who's been around for six years now. There was, um, Bryce McPherson, the sophomore punter. Ben Krim, who's a transfer punter. Was that it? Did I get everybody? Uh, yes, I think so. Okay. So let's uh, let's start with Marty Biagi. And I can fill in some gaps here if um, we need to. So let's talk about who right now is the starting specialist, yep. the starters in the return game. Get that out of the way, and then we'll go into some detail. So starting
1: – Place kicker is Spencer Schrader. And okay. that's and that's been pretty apparent to us watching Spencer Schrader this preseason. By a mile. Um,
0: and and Charleston Bowles has a really good feature up on insideandy.sports.com right now. Fascinating guy. I, I learned so much about Spencer Schrader today that makes me think this guy could be really special. Um, so when I may be jinxing in my <laughs> Um, the pu-
1: starting punter will be, uh, Bryce McPherson, the starting long snapper will be <laughs> milk. The man they call milk, Michael Vinson, the starting holder will be Dylan Devison. Okay. I who is like a walk- People might not know that name. He's a walk-on quarterback. He just joined the team as a sophomore. Um, he was with the team in the spring and Marty Biaggi said that he wants, he likes to have quarterbacks as holders and sort of sought Dylan out for this role. Um, and he's, run with it and Spencer Schrader likes him. So uh they like what he's doing. He even had, there was one snap that it wasn't necessarily the greatest snap the other night at, at school field. And he, was he, he made, he made the best of it and got in a position for Spencer Schrader to make the field goal. And then
0: uh punt returner. Who's the number one punt returner right now?
1: It sounds like Chris Tyree. He didn't say it in those certain terms, but the, when we asked about him, he's mentioned Tyree first and talked about him for, for a bit before getting to Matt Salerno. So I think he likes, Chris Tyree there. It sounds like Chris Tyree has made a concerted effort to put himself in that position. He really wants that role. Um, We'll get a chance to talk to Chris Tyree on Friday um, to talk to him a little bit more about that, but that's something that he's sort of been gunning for um, and and Notre Dame and Marty Biagi like what he's been doing for them. And then it sounds like the kickoff return competition is down to four players. Yeah. And that that includes Chris Tyree um, naturally as the returning starter. Uh, but uh, Devin Ford's in the mix there, uh, the Penn State transfer running back, uh, and then a couple other running backs, Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love, with are getting some opportunities back there as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Devin Ford and Chris Tyree back there um, for the majority of the season, but we'll see how that all plays out. From what you've observed to this point, and we haven't watched
0: punt blocks necessarily We've seen What do you
1: mean? We saw them blocking
0: soccer balls. <laughs> okay. We saw them blocking soccer balls. Okay. So, but uh, do we think, you know, I think there was the thought that with Brian Mason going to the Indianapolis Colts after uh, one season that maybe there would be some fall off this year based on what you've seen through 13 practices or the ones that we've been allowed in. Uh, what are your thoughts? Can special teams be special again, even if it's in a different way this year?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a good chance for that. I, the, I think when you start with the punters and punter and kicker, I think I've been very impressed with both of them. I think they have the potential to be better than Blake Groupie and John Sott last year. And John Sott I thought was a really good punter for Notre Dame last year. Groupie was pretty good kicker, but didn't necessarily have a lot of range for, for Notre Dame. Um, I think – The return units will be key. Like what can they do in the return game? Like the way Notre Dame countered that last year with Brian Mason was blocking a bunch of punts. So it doesn't matter if you're returning punts or not, if you're blocking them, that's better than, than returning them. Um, Can they continue to do that? I I think the personnel lends itself that way. I think Marty Biagi's seems to me like the kind of coach that can take advantage of that and the culture that Brian Mason helped instill in that special teams group. I don't think that's necessarily going to just disappear. Um, because there's so many of those players that played roles on those teams. We talk about Jordan Batello and Jack Kaiser as guys that are leaders of the team um, that want to make plays on special teams. Those those guys are going to motivate others. And there's listen, we, we go into the IAC to do interviews. Um, after practices and every, every time we're up there, there's the Clemson games on repeat. And that includes last year's Clemson game where they blocked a the punt. So, and I think while Sam Hartman was talking the other day, he's like, Oh, look, we blocked a punt. That's, that's great. <laughs> and so there's always a constant reminder of what can, what can happen and the, the plays that, that can be made on the special teams unit. So um, I think that those units should be in a, in a strong position, um Again, this coming season, do you share my optimism? I do.
0: I think a real key point that you made is Marty Biaggi, the special teams coach, has the run of the roster. He can pick who he wants. Mm-hmm. Most programs, that is not the case. Um, yeah. Alabama is, um, but there are teams that that's not the case. And some of which Marty Biagi's coach, like at Ole Miss last year, that wasn't the case There's been times in his career where he's had something similar and you've seen the punt blocks and you've seen the really good return game. And so I think he's pretty excited and I think that's really key. Uh, And then Notre Dame works on special teams. You know, you only have so much practice time and Notre Dame definitely gives special teams, I think, a pretty good run of of time and practices uh, where they can get really good at things. So my expectations are they'll be pretty good. I think maybe they'll be better even in the specialist category because Marty was a college kicker and punter, right? and he has that expertise. Where I think he's got something to prove to all of us a little bit is Brian Mason was a mad scientist in terms of scheming up punt blocks. That wasn't Mm -hmm. the same scheme every week. He would watch film. He would look at weaknesses. He would find them and go after them. And then he would have them scared the rest of the game that they were going to get another one. And and so you'd have shanked punts because of this relentless pressure and the confidence in their scheme that they have. So that's what I got to see from Marty Biagi. Not that we haven't seen it yet. We, have, we don't know either way if he's crazy. But I think Brian Mason is probably in a class by himself that way. We'll, but we'll see because he was that way at Cincinnati. I mean, it was right. consistently year after year they were, one of the better kick slash punt blocking teams. So quickly before we do more questions and a recruiting reset, um, I can take this if you want the some bullet points on Spencer Schrader because he's such a unique person. His story yeah, is really interesting. So Spencer Schrader grew up in Indiana. Um, he was going to go to um, – be a professional soccer player in Brazil and ended up breaking his ankle and wasn't able to pursue that quite as um, fervently as he wanted to. And, you know, it just didn't look like it was going to happen for him right away. And he thought, why don't I go back to the United States and try to play football? He played one year of high school football. He walked on at University of South Florida, actually as a freshman, uh, maybe kicked off a time, well, it was one time because it was a 52 nothing game. So he kicked off once in that game. Um, and then he became a pretty decent kicker for USF as he got older. And, you know, his long field goal last year was 49. And I thought, well, eh, they kind of, you know, scraped, not the bottom of the barrel, but maybe the middle of the barrel with this guy. And I was wrong. Um, he has an incredibly powerful leg. I didn't realize his touchback um, percentage was one of the highest in the country last year. And then you watch him in practice pretty routinely kicks 52 or 53-yard field goals that look like they would be good from 60. In his interview today, he talked about, you know, in practice he can get, you know, I think this was without a rush, 62 or 63 he once kicked it from 75 when they were practicing in a hurricane where the winds were at his back. And I would say, probably in the not in the uh, throes of a hurricane, but maybe on the periphery of a hurricane winds uh, down in Florida, 75 yards. Guy owns two businesses, uh, was really set up to be involved with real estate in Florida and just decided to get out of his comfort zone, take another year, put himself into the portal, and thought, ah, let's do this Notre Dame thing. And he's not in a uh, non-degree-seeking position. He's going to get, he's taking graduate-level classes in management, already talked to Tom Mendoza, who's the Mendoza College of Business Mendoza. <laughs> and so it's a, it's a really cool story. The thing that Marty Biagi said that he really liked about Schrader was his mental toughness. Well, if you can combine that strong leg with mental toughness, wow, what a combination. But again, you know, South Florida didn't have a lot of games where it came down to a game-winning kick. He will have those opportunities at Notre Dame or a game-tying kick. And so it'll be interesting to see how he responds. But with the media watching, with fake noise at practice, he's been pretty darn good.
1: Agreed, agreed. Uh, Let's get to a couple more questions here, um, and then I can do a recruiting reset. I know we're at an hour, but we are over 90 live viewers, and that's uh, as many as we've had since last season. So we appreciate everyone tuning in um, and uh, come back, (laughs) return for the next episode, uh, which we will be doing these weekly. But this first one here is from It's Mitch. Do you expect the offense to be improved? If so, any predictions for our average scoring offense per game? I'd like to think with Sam Hartman's in parentheses stud we should be scoring more than 30 a game more than 30 a game I definitely think is
0: doable I I've had people ask me about 40 and a Notre Dame offense has never done that Um, I I like the balance in this offense I'm not going to go too much by what I saw Tuesday night I'm going by what you know the complete picture and what I think projecting ahead I mean The one thing you don't have right now is an elite proven tight end, but I think you have a bunch of them that have that potential at some point. Barring injury, I think this will be a much improved offense from last year, starting with the quarterback, but there are other pieces that I really like.
1: Yeah, 30 is a low. I mean, I just the last four seasons they've averaged more than 30 points per game. Um, 31.8 was last season, and that's the low of the last four seasons they – averaged 33.4 in 2020, 35.2 in 2021, and then in 2019, 36.8. I would like to think that they can get closer to that 2019 number than any of those numbers. I think they can push those into the 35-plus range. Um, Despite some of the things that were a little bit discouraging from Tuesday's practice, I still think that there is the potential for Notre Dame's offense to get to those places. Um, and it does have some games that I think it can pad its scoring, uh, scoring offense stats against. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I I think it will be improved. Um, I think it it would be very hard for the offense to not be improved with Sam Hartman at as, as quarterback, um, with with the talent that that is returning on the offense last year. Um, outside of Michael Mayer, obviously that is an enormous loss, but um, there is a, a good enough amount of talent returning that Notre Dame should be able to do that certainly be better than last year and, and maybe be better than it's been in the last four years or so. All right. Last one is more of a comment than a question, but I thought it was interesting and certainly caught my eye on Twitter today as well. Sid Irish says the injury hate ND hatred is ravenous right now because all of this is conference realignment. Of course is ND's fault. I,
0: I guess I haven't seen that interpretation. I've seen People want them to join a conference, and I saw the silliest uh, conference today of Air Force, Army, Navy, Cal, Stanford, and Notre Dame. I thought, man, I'd have to have a lot of beer to come up with that.
1: Yeah, I think the, 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 it was less that they're blaming Notre Dame for conference realignment, but they're. I think the 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 current hot button issue is that Notre Dame was pushing for the ACC to add Cal and Stanford. And Jack Swarbrick even gave a quote to ESPN about why that they wanted to do that. And he, he thought it was disheartening that um, Cal and Stanford could be left without a conference and left without a home um, given the latest shakeup. Um, And obviously it doesn't make a ton of sense for Cal and Stanford to join the ACC and the ACC seems to agree with that. Um, But uh, there were some folks that didn't seem to like the idea Mostly people in the from within the ACC, like why does Notre Dame feel like it can have a voice in this matter? Like it's not willing to be a full member, um, and I think there's obviously some jealousy when it comes to that at times. And then I, I, the proposed conference was just clickbait stuff, in my opinion. Like they wanted people to to click on the article to get their uh, the rant off about why Notre Dame um, should join a conference. So. I think there was also anger
0: about when they found out Notre Dame was a full voting member in the ACC. Yeah. They weren't too too happy. Yeah, I think that. I think
1: I think that first was reported by our Clemson Rivals site that they they heard some of the the noise behind that, and I, I think uh, people weren't too happy about that. But hey, N- Notre Dame didn't make the ACC make this deal. Just like uh, ESPN didn't make the ACC sign that deal. ACC decision makers seem to have probably their own only themselves to blame for the situation they're in right now
0: well and i also don't think that notre dame tried to leverage getting cal and stanford in, saying now if you don't let those two in we're only going to play four games a year against the ACC. no and I mean, i'm sure the response was, from
1: the acc is like well if you want us to add them well, then why don't you join our conference too and they're yeah. like well whoa, that's not what we want to do <laughs> yeah so, and so that's within everyone's right to have those opinions right. but I think,
0: uh, right And I do agree with Jack Swarbrick. It would be sad if Cal and Stanford ceased to be power five schools, which if they're not in the ACC, that's probably going to happen. If they join the American Athletic Conference, they're likely going to be group of five type schools. And I think given Stanford's broad um, success, beyond football and, and the, especially the Olympic sports. And we're talking about people that eventually become Olympians and some of the you know swimmers that go to Stanford and some other uh, of their sports, tennis and soccer and so forth. Uh, it would be a shame for that to happen, but you know, maybe the group of five will rise up and the AAC will be the new fifth power five conference. I'm not sure that that's in the cards, but, uh, Maybe that'll happen if they add Stanford and Cal.
1: I'm going to make the executive decision to skip any recruiting talk. Um, if you want some recruiting coverage, head to InsideIndySports.com. Um, the Insider Lounge, are always talking about recruiting there. Um, frankly, there's been more men's basketball recruiting news this week than there's been football football news with a commitment from Garrett Sundra. Um, and then Notre Dame is awaiting word from Sir Muhammad, a uh, top 100 recruit um, out of uh, – North Carolina. This, this, I believe it's Saturdays when he's announcing his decision. Um, so we'll have coverage of that as well. Um, but let's, let's get this squeeze one more question in since we've had such a good audience here tonight. Um, Jay Grizz asks, has, has Marcus Freeman learned a lot about the offensive side of the ball since he said he was still learning about the offense and things to look for in an offense being that he's mainly a defensive coach?
0: Absolutely. I mean, he talks a good game and he, seems to be very invested in the offensive side i agree his first year he's like tommy this is your deal i'll pop in and but you know i'm gonna be more of a consultant here now he's it's his vision you know the offense is his vision uh jared parker and marcus talk all the offensive coaches talk so uh marcus has i think a much more even with the defense i think marcus Mm -hmm is more involved with. And and I think it's one of the reasons I think Notre Dame's defense will be more aggressive this year and we'll see more exciting and a defense with a nice bottom line but not so many holes. Last year they were 21st in total defense, but they were awful in the red zone and they were awful in terms of turning teams over. I think you'll see big improvements there. One thing I do want to mention on the recruiting front before we wrap up is um rivals has these new comprehensive rankings that combine transfer portal and high school rankings, and I you got to check them out. I think they're really, I think that was a really good idea because the transfer portal is becoming so big of a part of player acquisition,
1: and and I think it yeah. Well, what was the number reflects- of what was the number that uh- colorado brought in because they were number one in transfers but it's because they brought so many freaking guys in
0: yeah it was over 50 uh but but notre dame ended up 10 in those combined rankings uh it had a much higher high school ranking than it did transfer ranking uh but and, and it breaks that down for you and it shows the number of transfers the number of high school recruits i would say if i were critical of it i'm not sure that Rivals at this point has had the resources to star rank transfer players super accurately. I think that'll get better as we get into the next cycle. Sorry, Rivals. Um, But I love the concept of having this comprehensive ranking.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many of them. Colorado had 50. That was, yeah. that was the number. That's, yeah, I mean, just, we just that's... need
0: one person to focus on Colorado <laughs> and somebody to focus on everybody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, the other ones that are in the top 10, Ole Miss is 24, Louisville is 25, Southern Methodist is 26. So you're in the 20s. Charlotte had 34, Charlotte with a new head coach. Um, so, yeah, just the amount of – I mean – You could could spend all day and night with make that one person's job, and they they wouldn't be getting a lot of sleep just trying to to rank all the star rankings or give all the star ratings to all the different portal entries and where they end up. So that is something that's fascinating, and uh, like you mentioned, it's going to play a a bigger role now. We're not at the point where it's going to play a huge role for Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame was 50 in the team rankings in terms of their transfer portal. Um, And like you mentioned, number 10 overall in the uh, comprehensive team rankings. So if you search for comprehensive team rankings rivals, you can check out what, uh, what Eric and I were talking about. That was just released this week and something that will certainly um, be important moving forward um, with future classes. They have not done it for the 2024 class um, because obviously you got to figure out who the, uh, who those transfers are and that haven't, those haven't happened yet. So I think my, my understanding is this will happen towards the end of the the recruiting cycle to, or I guess it's not even the recruiting cycle. It's the transfer cycle uh, to get a, to, to, get a gauge on what those, those transfer halls have been.
0: So we want to thank legacy heating and air legacy, heating and air inc.com. I'd like to thank everybody that asked a question or made a comment or had a really interesting screen name. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank Tyler James for cleaning up my messes tonight. And, and we ask your favor, Please. Because Tyler wants us to get to 2,000 subscribers by the start of the season, hit the subscribe button. Hit it's free. The notification bell. It's also free, <laughs> and it makes us happy. And it and it uh, will help us in the long run bring you better content.
1: How's yeah? That? Make, make sure you don't miss us. Um, we'll be back next week with a football never sleeps. We our plan is to have them weekly through the end of the season. Um, so we will be doing that uh, on Monday nights during during the season. Um, but we've been changing the nights during during the preseason here, so it's important to have have your notifications on so you don't miss those. We obviously announce them on our insidendsports.com website, um, on Twitter, on the Inside Lounge message board. So there's plenty of ways to keep up with it. But if you're on YouTube, often have your have your notifications on, and that'll that'll help you uh, remember when we're we're coming to you live. But we appreciate everyone joining us. A big crowd tonight, and we hope to see you guys again next week.